I want to d- jump right into our uh, sermon this morning. Um, we've in the last several weeks as a church have been going through a series called Taboo, and uh, where we're looking at topics that you just normally don't talk about in church, and uh, we don't talk about them because maybe they're controversial, maybe because they just make us uncomfortable. We tend to avoid them because they might be awkward topics to talk about, but as a church, over the last several weeks, we have been diving straight into some of these, these topics. Last week, we started talking about um, uh, racism as a church, and, uh, and this morning, we're going to continue that conversation. It's kind of a little mini-series within the series, and uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in the church and uh, did the whole Sunday school thing. One of the songs that we sang as a, in Sunday school had the wor- words that went like this, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And I really think that the church has a very unique advantage when it comes to having the conversation and, and pushing through the racial division and tension that we see happening all over our nation um, right now. And we have this unique advantage in, in tapping this because we believe the words of that song that we are all, when you give your life to Jesus, you, we're, we're, we're God's children. And, and uh, if we're all God's children, regardless of our skin color, what does that make us? It makes us one big family, right? And so we can talk about this from uh, just as brothers and sisters in Christ tackling this issue that's become so divisive, full of so much tension. And so this morning, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Rather than me stand up here at the front by myself and just and, and preach about what God's Word has to say about about this topic. I'm actually going to invite a couple guys to join me up on the stage in just a second, and we're going to tackle this, be like a family talk um, on this, this subject. And the reason that we're doing this this morning is there's a couple reasons. The first reason that we're doing this is because, um, like we talk, talked about last week, one of the things that, that just needs to happen if we're going to get past everything that's going on, if there's going to be healing, what, something that needs to happen first is there needs to be understanding and a sense of empathy as to what Others go through um, all around us on a, on a, um, on a regular basis. And so um, I believe as we talk about this, we'll begin to gain some understanding. And one of the things that, that's become really plain to see over the last couple weeks with everything that's gone on is that ignorance is not creating bliss in our country. There's this misunderstanding, there's this, or just not understanding what people with different skin color than, than, than us go through. And so because of that, it's just creating fear, it's creating confusion, it's creating chaos. And so this morning what we want to do is, is, is talk about what, what happens and uh, talk about um, discrimination and prejudice, pre- prejudice that, that exists. Um, not just, you know, I think sometimes here in, in our county, we can sometimes in our ignorance think that this is an issue for people out there. Like it happens maybe in other cities. It happens just out there. But it happens right here in our own county all the time. And so we want to talk about this. And um, I I want you to know that this morning is not about pushing a narrative. It's not about pushing a political agenda. We are not about politics here in this church whatsoever. This issue, unfortunately, has become very political but this is not about politics this morning, okay? This is not about how one group of lives matters more than another group of lives or any of that kind of stuff. This is, is, is just about recognizing that there's 
um, racial discrimination and prejudice and becoming aware of that. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. I, we're gonna, I'm going to share a couple quotes of his this morning. But he said this. He said, men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. And so this morning is going to be about bridging some of the gap. Uh, we as a church are, are blessed to be a very ethnically diverse church. And, and, and so we come together on a weekly basis. But often I don't think we talk about this, this issue near as much as we should. And so this morning is going to be about communicating about what, what's going on. And so it's about gaining understanding and empathy. And then the second reason is so that armed with understanding and empathy, we can be people that are God's instruments for reconciliation, God's instruments for healing, God's instruments, instruments for justice in our nation. Bill Hybels, a pastor from Chicago, he put it like this. He said, the church is the hope of the world. And when it comes to um, this issue, we carry something that nobody else carries. We carry this belief that we are all made in the image of God. And we also carry this biblical conviction. Um, the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We carry this belief that, that we're all one, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of, of skin color. And so as we head into this discussion this morning, I just want to acknowledge before we do that that this issue has become much more complicated to discuss um, with, with the shootings of these police officers in the last couple weeks. Um, normally you could, could talk about this and just not have it be so complicated, but it's become complicated in that now that when you talk about racial discrimination, there's a whole group of people that thinks, okay, if you're talking about this, that must mean that you don't care about law enforcement. It must mean that you don't care about police officers. Well, I want to be super clear this morning in saying that, yes, we appreciate and we love our law enforcement. We love what they do for us. Yeah, it's okay to clap this morning. And, and we just want to say right up front that what's gone on the last couple of weeks has just been a complete tragedy. And so don't misread mis, um, what we're talking about this morning to mean that we think that, uh, that we don't care about law enforcement. We deeply value and appreciate um, our law enforcement community. But I'm going to invite um, a couple guys in our church to join me up here on the stage. If you guys could come on up. I'm going to have Clark Fraser come up. His, Clark is uh, our worship and uh, youth pastor here at our church, and he does a lot of other things. And I'm also going to ask Tony Welch if you would come up, join me here on the stage. And uh, Tony and his family have been a part of our church now for a couple years. Recently had the, the joy and the privilege of baptizing Tony and his daughters. It was a super cool moment. Tony runs a landscaping business. And uh, these guys have, have uh, agreed to come up here and just be a part of this discussion that we're going to have. And before we get into it, though... Um, I want to just talk a little bit about our, our backgrounds, where we came from. Are we all on the same level here? Yeah, okay, nice. Ooh, crash, bang, boom. Okay. My bad. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit, just so you guys know a little bit of our backgrounds and where we come from. So I grew up in a, um, 
Um, my dad was a pastor, and he pastored um, mainly Native American churches. Um, Canada, First Nations is how we refer to Native American people. But grew up in, in, in that just a very ethnically... You're right over there, Clark. You're you breaking the chair. I am. Or is it already bro broken? Oh, it is already broken. Haha. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. But I grew up in in this in a church that was very very diverse. I mean, that's just the environment that I grew up in. When we're sing when when I was singing that song, uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the of the world. Uh, my dad would actually have every time someone was a baby was dedicated in our church to Jesus. That was the song that we sang. And so I'm seeing. Uh, um, white babies being dedicated with this. We're all precious in God's sight. And, and a few weeks later, someone that, a, a Native American baby being dedicated, all precious in God's sight. So I grew up with this kind of context and, and environment and um, just really appreciate um, the differences that we have, but just that, that, that we can be one. How about you, uh, Clark? What was your, uh, what's the context that you grew up in? And uh, let me just unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Hawaii. And uh, down in Hawaii, we were called the melting pot. And so there's so many different uh, ethnicities that I grew up surrounded by. Um, and so uh, as much as we all had our own uh, ethnic pride, uh, we all kind of grew up together. So it was uh, never really saw a whole lot with regards to racism towards one another. In fact, I was considered the majority. And down in Hawaii, the minority was actually the white community. And so uh, a lot of the racism that I saw growing up was actually geared towards the white community. And that's oh. kind of uh, what, what I grew up with was watching that. Uh, and then when we moved up here, and like I've got, fr I've got family in California and New Jersey, and to be able to come from a land where I was the majority and go into a place where I was actually considered the minority like it was a mind-blowing thing for me I had no idea uh, how to react because I was always part of the majority and so to be treated uh, as a minority was something that uh, I had never experienced before mm. so cool. and, uh, for me I grew up I was born in Toledo Ohio and when I was two my mom and I moved to Adrian Michigan Adrian, Michigan's a population of about 23,000 people. So um, there have been a lot of assumptions that because I'm black and from Michigan that I'm from Detroit, but did not grow up in the inner city. Um, I did, however, spend a lot of time in the inner city growing up. My parents were both young and separated when I was born. Um, and my father and his mother and his siblings moved to Cincinnati. So from third grade throughout the rest of my school career and on after I left uh, for the Navy, I would go down there and spend some time in the projects, which was completely different from where I grew up. So as I grew up, where I grew up, it was kind of, it was a conservative town and black people were the minority. Um, Cincinnati, the metropolitan area we were as well, but where I spent time, I was part of the majority. Um, so I had a, kind of a diverse history. Um, and with respect to, you know, just kind of being subjected to racism and things like that. Um, my, my background also, um, one of the other things you can't really see is my grandmother was a white woman um, of German and Pennsylvania Dutch and some other things sprinkled in their descent. Um, and I, that was actually the family that I spent the most time around as I grew up. Um, so 
color wasn't necessarily something that we focused on. Kind of knew that I was different, but um, it wasn't until about first grade that it was really thrown in my face. I moved to a new school, and I had uh, one of my classmates say to another classmate's place, classmate, excuse me, within earshot, who was this new nigger in our class. Um, I fortunately had another friend, and I forgot to mention that in the first service, who um, he didn't know me any more than the student that asked, but he said that that nigger is my friend. You don't say that to him. <laughs> and so uh, we established a relationship. But after that incident, I went home, and we kind of discussed it um, with my parents. And um, that's kind of my background uh, in history. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So I, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. And I just want you to be completely real. Like I, I said kind of in the introduction, this isn't about being PC this morning. So I don't want you guys to, to feel like you've got to try to frame things to, so it doesn't come across wrong. Let's just be blah, uh, honest, open conversation this morning. So in light of um, what's gone on the last couple weeks with uh, the, uh, um, what, what happened with Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and the shooting of the eight police officers, why don't you guys just take a couple minutes, tell us what, what's going on in your heart and mind in light of everything that's go gone on and is just kind of swirling around in our nation right now. Um, for me, it's been a really difficult couple of weeks. Um, obviously, we've had these types of incidents happen way too many times over the last couple of years. And um, if you listen to the media and you pay attention to what you're seeing, the focus is on compliance. Well, they should have complied. They should have obeyed the law. Um, but the reality of it is every crime that's committed is not punishable by death. That's why we have a whole legal system in place to be able to prosecute these individuals that are breaking the law. Um, <coughs> further, well, I spent some time in the Navy and the folks that I spent time with, we had a real, real clear mission. And so we had a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life and our job was to um, defend the Constitution and um, defend our nation against enemies foreign and domestic. And so with that in mind, our our bond was pretty easy to form because we had one clear mission. So um, over the years, I made a lot of great friends. But in light of recent events, as I've looked on social media, what's been going on is very divisive. Where I'm a firm believer in law and order, um, like I say, we have people that are dying. And um, they're not getting their fair shake. And in addition to that, once they're gone and they no longer have the opportunity to defend themselves, um, rather than talk about the father or the family or the whole history of the person, um, their, their character is being indicted in addition to them also being deceased. And um, you know their character is called into question as we look at their criminal records and their history and their background and their run-ins with mm -hmm. police. And to the contrary, um, you know, with these officers, and it's no better that they've died either in the line of duty, but um, just to to kind of focus on it, when we have the officers die, it's a tragedy, it's an assassination. We put blue ribbons on our cars, and um, you know we, we hail these folks as heroes, and no one's questioning their character or their conduct record or their history in regard to the job that they do. So um, it's been really tough. I have friends on both sides of the aisle. Um, like I say, I spent a lot of time in the inner city with my family. I've been raised to um, obey the law and, and follow the rules. Um, and I have law enforcement relatives and friends, and it's their job to try to keep us safe. So it's, it's a real mm. tough spot to be in right now. Yeah, I'm going to come back and ask some more questions on that. But Clark, how about you? What's going on in your heart and mind? 
I'm kind of in the same boat with uh, with Tony in the sense that uh, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult road to navigate for me. Um, I was raised to be cautious around law enforcement, and uh, it's it's always been something that I've been taught. Uh, and so I hear I, I hear people saying, you know, these guys should have just complied, this and that, and and, and I get that. I was raised to. Uh, if I'm ever pulled over by a police officer, my hands are on the wheel, both hands, my, uh, 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 I don't reach for my wallet, I don't do this, I don't do that. I'm, I'm repeating everything that the officer is telling me to make sure that uh, he understands that I'm complying as much as I can with him. So that's the way I was raised. And uh, so watching uh, people dying over this issue, it's, it's been super, super difficult. Uh, because of uh, how divided, like you were talking about, how divided uh, we have become over this, as opposed to being able to come and stand alongside people and say, "Man, this is this is horrible." We're immediately going from one side, or for either one side or the other, and so for me, it's it's been hard because just like Tony, I've got friends who are in law enforcement, and I've got friends who. Uh, have been shot and killed by by police officers growing up, and so uh, I've seen and experienced both sides, and it's it's just such a difficult road to navigate for me that uh, I, I I can't just go yeah uh, police officers were wrong the black people were right or the black people were wrong and the police officers were right there's so much more that goes into it, uh, and it's it's just it's a it's a com a complex situation. Hmm. One of the, uh, this last week, so kind of a question that's kind of related to this. I had a, uh, I read this article by this guy named Jeff Wood. He wrote this article on Facebook that's kind of making its rounds. You might have read it. It's simply called, I Am a Racist. And the article is written by a white guy. And uh, he had a lot of great things to say. And what was interesting about this article is that it was really resonating with the non-white community. And so I read this article, and he said a, he had some insight that, I just thought was so good. He said, as a white person, when I get pulled over, shop in a store, go for a job interview, meet a new person for the first time, etc., I expect to be judged for who I am. In other words, he expected to have people look at him and see a person, nothing more, nothing less. And then he went on to describe how, as white people, we're usually given the benefit of doubt in life, but for, for people of color, they work from a, the deficit of the doubt. So... In other words, if I walk into a convenience store and I'm wearing a, a hoodie, um, the, I, I'm given the benefit of the doubt. Like, white guy with a hoodie, great. He's probably here to shop and get some things. But it, it, that's, that's not always the case. I don't, I don't work from this place of people being suspicious of me. And so um, question for you guys is, would you say that there is such a thing as the deficit of the doubt? And if so, how have you experienced that? Where there's just, you've started from this place where there's just, there's just this discrimination in, in the sense that people start from doubting your intentions and questioning what you're really up to here. Um, I have, and it's not really in regard to um, law enforcement. Like I say, I, I try to follow the law, the law and live by the rules. Um, but I did... So I spent my time in the Navy. I spent a couple of years as an operator at a roofing mill. And then I did that trying to prepare myself because I was under the impression that uh, to be able to get into one of the refineries was the ideal spot to be if you wanted to make an income that you could support your family. So I worked hard for that. 
Um, I tested several times, um, tried and failed, but um, just wasn't the time yet. I got an opportunity to test for Phillips 66 at the time, Conoco Phillips, and I went and I passed the test. I got the job and I came back excited, only to have somebody that was near and dear to me tell me that the reason that I got the job, and mind you, this was 12 out of about 500 people that tested got hired. The reason that I got the job was because they had to keep their numbers up, referring to being a black man. Mm. Are you Clark? So for those of you who don't know, uh, deficit of the doubt, uh, another way to put that is uh, guilty until proven innocent. Um, and so uh, I can say that happens pretty frequently. Um, this past Monday uh, at uh, Ferndale Hagen's. Uh, now, for those of you who know me, I love uh, hoodies and sweatshirts. Uh, I have a ton. My wife is back there. She can attest three quarters of my uh, wardrobe uh, are sweatshirts. And so I have a ton of these. And so I just, I wear them because I love them. Um, but I walked into a, I walked into Ferndale Hagen and uh, immediately was uh, seen by a man who was just standing there who looked at me very intently and then turned over and pointed at a police officer who was getting food. And then he looked back at me and he did this. And uh, I had no idea what to do with that. So I'm looking at that going, okay. Uh, you know, just, I, I had no idea. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm totally used to uh, walking down the aisles and having uh, little old ladies clutch their purse a little bit tighter, uh, you know, and scoot the other side. I'm used to that. Uh, but watching this just like happen in front of me, uh, it was it was crazy. I I really didn't know what to do with it. Just mm. uh, uh, threw me off. <laughs> so, so you would you would say that there's definitely some discrimination that happens right here in our backyard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you gotta experience it. I don't get that. Walking, I wear hoodies all the time. I just don't get that. That people don't look at me and, and have that kind of response. I've, I've, I've yet to have that. Um, question that I have for you guys. So as a, as a white guy, I rarely spend time um, thinking about my ethnicity. I, it, it's, I'm just not really aware of that. I go through life just kind of going through life, and I don't live with this constant awareness that I'm a white guy. It doesn't stare me in the face. And when it does stare me in the face, it's... Um, it's, it's not in a negative way that it stares me in the face. So if I look back on the last few years, there's a few times that my whiteness has stared me in the face. And uh, one of them was actually at uh, Jose and Monique's uh, wedding um, rehearsal, or at the, not the rehearsal, at the wedding reception. And it wasn't in a negative way, but, but so there was me and my family um, and a, a small handful of other um, white people there among probably a couple hundred. And so... At one moment in the uh, wedding reception, uh, Mona Holinda, who also goes to our church, she, she called me out. Um, I had no idea she was going to do this, but it was like the first dance of the, the dance where um, and she had some, some, some of the, the men who had been just part of Monique's life come up and dance with, with Monique. And so one guy would come up at a time, another guy would come up, and then I'm way back in the corner, and Mona goes, Pastor! <laughs> and my first response is to go, uh, like, look around, like, You're not me. 
And then like, okay, no, this is not happening. This is not happening. That's what I'm thinking. And so, but, but I go up there, and of course, one, I'm a white guy, and so I, I can't dance. And then, and then two, the second thing is that I just am, I'm not used to that level of inclusion with a, a, a family. That, I mean, they've been coming to our church for probably about 10 months at, at the time, but I just was like right in there. I just, uh, just in an uncomfortable way. So in those situations, my whiteness stares me in the face, but it's very, very rare for me to go through life going, I'm a white guy. How's it with you guys? Do you, do you find that, that your um, ethnicity, does it stare you in the face a little more often? Are you a little more aware of that? Or is that, how would you explain that? I, I would say, for me, uh, my ethnicity does, uh, uh, does uh, become something uh, somewhat of a common occurrence. Uh, it's, not, it's not even so much my ethnicity, so much as it is my color. Uh, because there's a lot of times when I'm mistaken for a Hispanic or Latino, which uh, is totally fine, but uh, I'm immediately judged based on the fact that I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm a different color. And so that's, that, that to me, it, it, it's really not so much about my ethnicity. Uh, when people hear I'm uh, Samoan, the first thing they say is, oh, you play football. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so that's the thing is, uh, for me, uh, I've, I, I've noticed that when it comes to ethnicity, uh, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, it's not that big a deal so much as the color of my skin is. Mm. How about you, Tony? Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I would say I'm used to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So it, it does. Um, there are certainly some instances and in times like these when we have a lot of this, this tension within society because of things mm. that have happened around the world, um, I do happen to know or, excuse me, notice a little more posturing, um, some uncomfortable looks, um, things like that in grocery stores. And I was actually kind of reflecting on that over the last couple of weeks. And what I realized is over my years, um, when I've dealt with those instances of or people assume the worst just because they see somebody that they're unfamiliar with. I program myself to, to reach out. I say hello. I, I try to greet people with a smile. And I actually find some humor in it sometimes because some people are extremely comfortable with that because <laughs> they're expecting the worst. And, wow, he's, you are such a really nice guy. <laughs> and so um, with that in mind, though, that's something that I did to try to kind of break the ice and, uh -huh. and, and help people to understand that just because of what you see on TV or any preconceived notions that you may have about people that look like me, that's not the type of person that I am, and that's not how I try to project myself. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we're running out of time in a hurry here, so just a couple more questions for you guys. Uh, so one of the things that's become a, a big issue in our nation right now is just that there's this distance in one side of staying uh, you don't understand us, and this side over here is saying, no, you don't understand us. And uh, what can you say to help bring us as a community, so as a church community here, what can you say to help bring us as a community a little closer to the problem? I would say um, just take the time to, to really understand these situations. Um, when, you, when you look at the media, 
a lot of times, unfortunately, it's not an unbiased um, representation of what's going on, but there are some agendas, whether it be the, the news outlet or the, the network that you're watching. And it's very biased, and because of that, the, the presentation of what you see may not be representative of what, of what actually happened. So um, in this day and age, unfortunately, we have so much information being thrown at us that we can assume, or we try to assume that I can take a little piece of this and this and this, and I can draw a conclusion, when in reality, there's usually a lot more to it. So um, be a little slower to judge. Take the time to inform yourself and gain some better understanding of what's actually going on. Um, let's not incriminate people. Like I say, we have a, a judicial system that's designed for that. If, if you've done wrong, there's a whole process for you to be found to have done wrong and be charged and have to deal with your consequences, your debt to society. Um, but we're all one people. Um, we care about people. I care about people. Um, so just keep that in mind. Every, a, a group of people is not as bad as sometimes they're portrayed or, or perceived. Yeah, I, I would uh, follow that up with the acknowledgement of what's happening. Uh, too many times, uh, because we don't know what to do, we don't say anything. Uh, but just to be able to acknowledge that there is an issue, that there is something happening. Uh, and to come alongside your, uh, those who are going through uh, certain situations, to be able to walk alongside them and go, uh, I may not understand, I may not have firsthand experience of what you guys are going through but I acknowledge that you are going through something and I'm so sorry. And to just be able to walk alongside them uh, with that acknowledgement of this, this is real, this society is, is divided and there's so much in the world that's going on right now, but for us to be able to just acknowledge one another, uh, knowing that there is an issue and to be able to walk alongside, that's, yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah, there's this um, quote I wanted to read to us, another one from Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, he said, in the end, it's not the words of our enemy that we'll remember, but the silence of our friends. And so would you say that's kind of like what you're referring to, Clark? It's just acknowledging, or is there, is there something more that we could say? Like when we hear um, that there's this kind of discrimination that, that goes on, like that you walk into Hagen and that happens, and, and uh, um, you shared in the first service, Tony, about how the house situation there when your, your neighbors or potential neighbors were just very suspicious. Um, we, we hear about that, and we go, that really stinks. And that's what we think. But we want to, like Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. says here, we don't want to be silent, so what can we say? Is it just acknowledging that, hey, that, sorry, that stinks? Or is there something more that we could say? Well, I think that's a, a good start. Um, one thing that has been just really focused on my heart uh, this past week is, uh, the idea that uh, the further away we are from a problem, the simpler the solution we believe uh, uh, to, uh, to that problem. But the closer we are, uh, the more complex uh, the answer and the solution becomes. And so uh, for the acknowledgement to happen, I believe that's a step towards getting closer mm -hmm. to the actual problem and then being able to know that there is as complex a solution as it is, there is a solution that can happen. Uh, but I think the acknowledgement is a great first step into uh, being able to uh, understand, uh, to gain knowledge and empathy like you were talking about earlier, which is what we wanna do. Uh, so I think acknowledgement is definitely uh, the good first step to come alongside uh, others who are going through uh, their issues 
uh, who are going through this situation, who have been wrongly persecuted. Uh, but just to come alongside and say, man, that sucks. I'm so sorry. I will never understand. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to understand how you feel, but I'd love to just at least walk alongside you and see if I can understand. No, I think Clark pretty much summed it up. And um, just to reiterate, take the time to, even if you're not going to meet somebody one-on-one -on -one directly just because you're not an outgoing person like that, that's okay. But there is a lot of real good information about different people and about different situations. Just take the time to inform and educate yourself. Yeah. I'm going to change gears just for a second and come, and come back with one last question for you guys. But I want to just look really quick at what some of, some of what the Bible has to say on this topic. There was, uh, so the early church was started amid a ton of racial tension. Back then, 2,000 years ago, there were uh, two groups of people that were really involved in the early church. There was the Jews, and then everybody else, um, which uh, people referred to as the Gentiles. And so you had these two groups of people that were very at odds with one another. They did not like each other at all. Jesus comes on the scene, shows up, um, and, and manages to work through the extraordinary division that was going on. And if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here today. Um, division would have definitely destroyed the church because you cannot have a, you ca you cannot have a movement. You cannot have a, a church that's about loving others and when there's division. You just can't. But Jesus shows up. He pushes through all that. And then we read in Acts chapter 10 how nearly 15 years, so the book of Acts, the book that talks all about the early days of the church, it's like, a, right, like reading a history book. The book of Acts, we read in Acts chapter 10 how Peter, this guy who is, who is like one of the most prominent disciples, he's a prominent leader in the church, 15 years after Jesus was resurrected, came back to life, went back up to heaven, Peter still dislikes Gentiles. He still has this discrimination, this prejudice against Gentile people. And then one day, God, through some just miraculous circumstances, he shows up to Peter and he says, Peter, I want you to go and visit um, a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, which, which in that day, for Peter, is the most hated kind of Gentile. He's not only Gentile, but he's, he's part of the, the Romans that are oppressing the Jewish people. But Peter, he, he uh, listens, he obeys God, he leaves his hometown, and he makes this journey to this um, town called Joppa, where Cornelius lives. Cornelius is excited. He wanted Peter to come visit him. He, he's excited that Peter's going to show up, and so Cornelius gathers his family around. He gathers some friends, and the Bible uh, tells a little bit about what happens. Peter, or Cornelius, comes to the front door. He opens the door. He lets Peter in. They have this brief conversation, like an introductory conversation you would have when someone comes over, and then the Bible says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So you've got to put yourself in this moment to really appreciate the awkwardness, the tension that's in that moment. Jews and Gentiles did not get along. They disliked one another. And here's Peter, a Jew, walking into a, a, a house full of Gentiles. There is tension in that moment. They're going, what's Peter going to say? And Peter's going, what in the world am I getting myself into? And then Peter who's just got this real gift for making a, an already awkward moment even more awkward. Listen to what Peter says as he walks into that room full of people. He said to them, 
you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. I mean, can you make the situation any more awkward than, I mean, starting off with that line? But Peter walks in and he says this. He just cuts right to the chase. Peter is a let's just lay the cards on the table kind of guy. And then he says this, and this is the line I really want us to get. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And as a result of Peter crossing through this division and stepping in where he normally wouldn't step in and, and loving the Gentiles, not just being present, but he, he, he loved them. He, he went on to just uh, see them as family. As a result of that, things began to change. And rather than separation, there was unity. Rather than there being division, there was, there was, there was a coming together. Um, rather than this distance, there was close friendship that came out of that. And I wanted you to know that this didn't happen because of a change that took place in culture, in society. It started in the church. It happened in the church. And the reason that it happened in the church is, is because of what Peter said to this room full of people. He said, God has shown me. God, he's shown me, I have had, a, God has, has helped me to see that the way I'm living, the way I'm seeing things, my perception, it's, it's all wrong. And I love what um, a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, his name is Andy Stanley, what, I love what he says on this. He says, prejudice and racism hide in our hearts. And the church has to lead the way in changing this because only in the church did we look at someone and say they're made in the image of God? This trumps my experience and my family's experience. Christians might have a lot of reasons for the prejudice and racism that hides in their hearts, but what Christians don't have is an excuse. And, and because God has, we're, we're family. Red and yellow, black and white, precious in his sight, children of God. We don't, we don't have an excuse. God sees us as being one. He sees us as, as being his children, one in Christ. And my prayer is that, that God would show us, all of us, that help us get past our ignorance and to see this, to have seen not just this morning, but that our eyes would be open to, to the very real fact that, that racial discrimination does exist. We, we would really like to just turn a blind eye to it and go, no, that. We took care of that way back there. Just we're, we're past that, but it still exists, and and that he would help us to see that, and he would also help us to see that we have a responsibility to own the problem. And so, one last question for you guys: um, I I really believe that either you're a part of the solution, or you're a part of the problem when it comes to racial discrimination and division. And so, you've already shared a lot about how we can. Um, I think you've already helped us a lot in understanding how we can be a part of the, the solution. But anything else that you guys want to share? How can we, um, as, as Christians, how can we be a part of the solution? Um, <clears throat> I would just say, take the time to get to know one another. Um, beyond our skin color, beyond um, the way that we appear, our, 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 our outward appearance, um, if you take a, if you take the time to get beyond the flesh and and get to know the person, get to know individuals, you'll realize that um, as many differences as there are that we seem, as there are that there may seem, um, we're not as different. 
as we appear. Um, I think we all have a lot of love in our hearts, a lot of compassion for one another. Um, so take the time to get to know one another and um, realize where we're at. And it's okay to recognize those differences too because sometimes um, it's, it's diving in and really getting a better understanding of one another. Not only do we have a different appreciation, but we can also find ways that we can help one another. Hmm. And in my opinion, that's, that's where we start. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of that, too. Uh, I would say, and this is something that might start stirring up some issues right now, but I would say we, uh, as a people, we need to own up to uh, our own responsibility in this situation. Uh, we can't just say it's a black problem or it's a white problem or it's a law enforcement problem. Uh, it is a problem that is uh, just overall engulfing our society. And so we need to take ownership uh, of what we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe Tony brought, brought up a great uh, solution. And that's we need to be open to one another. We need to be able to say uh, uh, we are prideful people. And it is so hard for us to be able to break down those walls, to be able to talk to others. But it's something that I believe we need to take ownership of because if we can't do that, there's no way that we can actually be able to engage with one another. Galatians 5.14 says, for the fulfillment of law is this, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we as Christians should be open to that. We should be looking at how do we as a church uh, unify and unite as opposed to uh, setting up our political agendas and, and mm. setting up this is how we're going to behave, this is who we are. Who we are and how we behave is based on Jesus, and that's, who he, uh, that's, who, that's what he embodied. He embodied unification. And so when you read uh, you know, uh, what Rich was talking about, what you were talking about with uh, the Acts, uh, when you keep reading, you'll see Paul and Barnabas just going out and reaching out to the rest of the Gentiles. And this is one of the coolest things to be able to see the church unified by Acts chapter 15, where you have Jews and Gentiles coming together with the common bond of Jesus Christ. And so I believe we as Christians need to own up to our own part of that responsibility and say, all right, from this point on, I choose to live the way Christ wants me to live, and I'm going to be open to uh, meeting other people. I'm not going to mm -hmm. automatically judge someone because they're wearing a hoodie. I'm not going to automatically judge someone because they're wearing a badge. I'm not going to automatically judge someone because of who th what they look like, but know that, like you said, we're all created in the image of God, and it's just that's that's our starting point, I believe, yeah. as Christians. Yeah. Is when, once we look at other people that way, the way God wants us to look at them, it just makes it so much easier for us to be able to connect with them. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Guys, I really appreciate this. Let me just wrap us up in prayer this morning. Lord, it's been so good this morning to be able to just talk openly and honestly about this, this subject that has, um, Lord, it's just an important topic to be to be discussing. Lord, too often we... Um, Lord, I think we all just tend to have a tendency to want to turn a blind eye and just to pretend that a problem, an issue doesn't exist, and so we just go our own way. But, Lord, it's important for us to even just acknowledge this morning that, that, that this is an issue, not in some distant, far-off city, but, Lord, it's an issue right here in our own backyard. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that um, with that understanding that, that, Jesus, we would, Lord, just make even more of an effort to love one another, Lord, to... to step across any sort of divisions that we may have set up and just love people, Lord, regardless of whether they've got the same skin color of us as us or not. Lord, help us to be people that, that love others. 
And uh, Lord, I just, I pray that, Lord, you would help us like these guys have just shared. Lord, may we not be people that are, are just quick to judge. And uh, uh, Lord, may we be people that are quick to love. May we not be people that are quick to speak and just throw our, our opinion out there and, and, and say how it should or shouldn't be. But Lord, may we be people that are instead are quick to listen, that ask questions and just uh, really want to understand what's, what's, at, what's, what's at the heart of what's going on here. And then from there that we'd be, be able to just um, do our part, like Clark shared, in owning the problem ourselves. God, help us not to be people that, that say it's all about somebody else, but Lord, may we say, what can I do to own this? How can I be a change agent? How can I be someone that makes a difference and brings light where there's, where there's darkness? And so, Lord, we, we need your help. We need your help. Lord, I pray, Father, that for us as a, as a church family, that God, it would start right here in, our, in this church. God, may we uh, just be an incredible light, Father, in this community and county of what it looks like to be a church that that is one in Christ and that loves one another despite skin color. Help us to be a light in that way. Lord, help us to be people that um, push outside of our comfort zones and, and even have people in our homes that are a different skin color than we are. Lord, may we just be people that love to that extent and uh, we need your help to do that. And Lord, I also want to pray that you would help us to, to just be um, instruments of love and healing God in our workplaces Lord, uh, in our schools, and our classrooms, uh, Jesus, when we run into, uh, when we see discrimination happening around us, I pray that you give us uh, the courage to stand up and do something. Lord, I pray that you, you would help us to be, uh, j- just to not be silent, but Jesus, help us to be um, people that, that are friends, that love one another, and, and will say something. And so, we, I just thank you for this, this opportunity that we could have together this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to work in our lives, God, to to just bring healing um, where there's so much division in our nation. And I ask all this in your great and awesome name, Jesus. Amen.